0: One of the agencies that we've been working with, the East River Family Strengthening Collaborative, is down in Ward 7, I believe. And so I connected with Sharafdeen there. And I'm oh, sorry. That's okay. That's OK. I'm getting a note saying, are you going to pick up the food at data Miners?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm getting a, an alert on
0: my. OK, maybe I can't tell that story. It's just too long.
1: This week, we're with Kate Urbank of Food Rescue US, and if she's not a food warrior, I don't know who is. This is Food
0: Warriors, the podcast that's transforming how we think about food, one food warrior at a time, with your host, the Foodie Alchemist.
1: Greetings, Food Warriors. Welcome to the last episode of 2017. I am super excited to be introducing you to Kate Urbank of Food Rescue US. She is a site director for Washington, D.C., which is where this show is airing from. And also, truth be told, Kate is my food waste warrior BFF. I mentioned a couple shows back that I had taken a long hiatus this year to volunteer with and get to know the local sustainable food system and food recovery efforts that are happening here in Washington, D.C. And my work with Food Rescue US has been some of the best volunteer experiences I've ever had. And I have been floored by Kate's passion and commitment to grow and launch this program, which now has 270 volunteers. Throughout the country and globally, it's been a really good year for food recovery efforts. We've seen an upswing in celebrity chefs talking about and taking part in the issue. And even Anthony Bourdain, who refuses to be labeled an advocate or activist, launched a fantastic film called Wasted last October. So while awareness is growing, the need for more efforts to address and fight food waste on a systemic level are vast. This show is especially for our food waste warriors out there who see a niche that needs to be filled in their community. You're going to love to check out Kate's story and learn how you can get involved with food recovery where you live. And if, like Kate, you discover that the community where you live doesn't have a coordinated food recovery effort underway, you're going to hear about how she brought one to Washington, D.C., This is a super inspiring show because it really illuminates the anatomy of a food warrior. Finding the authenticity in what you're passionate about and bringing your unique gifts to the table and then partnering like crazy to make it happen. The show is so juicy, we have to do it in two parts. I'm telling you guys, there's much more that needs to be done. So without further ado, let's get into this with Kate Urbank of Food Rescue U.S. I was looking over your LinkedIn profile. I didn't know that you had so much political experience working on campaigns for so long. What was it about working on that particular track that brought you in?
0: My campaign work started when I moved to Connecticut and had two children in middle school and was looking for a way to get involved in my community. And uh, a friend of a friend was running for state senate. Um, I like to say to people, if you move to a new town or city, And if you have political views that are rather strong, if you connect with people who um, are in that party or that belief system, you immediately have like-minded people around you that are good to mind for friends. So I started off in politics as a way to kind of get involved with my community, and I found that I took on the role of coordinator more so than a policy person on my uh, political campaign work. I was the one who encouraged and cajoled and convinced people to make phone calls and to go canvassing. And I worked with the candidates and kind of gave a level of coordination and competency that soon became rather important and valuable. And then you just went from one campaign to the next.
1: Also, you were sitting on a couple different boards through that time as well. When you become kind of engaged in the community through volunteer work, your name will
0: eventually surface up and then it's a good way to kind of lead into board service. And so truthfully, I was on the board of an agency called Person to Person in Darien, Connecticut. And without that board service, I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now because this is a hunger relief agency, clothing, shelter. It was just a full service agency for people in need and at risk in Fairfield County. And through Person to Person, I connected with another agency that did good work Not unlike this, and serviced person to person, and that was called Community Plates. And Community Plates was the precursor to what is now known as Food Rescue US.
1: And then also, you were involved in the Rape Crisis Center.
0: I was a member of the board of directors for the Center for Sexual Assault Crisis and Education, and that was a really wonderful board service, but it was because the nature of working with victims of sexual assault is that you do not do any kind of one-on-one connection with the clients. It's very private, which is appropriate, but it was very rewarding once I was at working on the board at person-to-person because we got to engage with the clients and see the difference it made to get uh, an opportunity to shop in the free clothing center or pick up bags of groceries or to be able to um, see the happy good news stories if somebody needed uh, a small stipend to be able to pay for a new license so that he or she could get their license and be able to drive to their work. I mean, these were all things that person-to-person showed me, and it really you know, it also was very humanizing. Sometimes I think we can put blinders on and not really think about our neighbors who are at risk or in need. And you know, Fairfield County, Connecticut is a pretty wealthy community, but there's a lot of people who need services. And so it was just really wonderful to work with other like minded people who gave up their time and their creativity and their hearts to kind of engage with this work. And again, it was definitely, it led me to this work that I'm doing now.
1: Yeah, you can see some very direct footsteps that way in that direction. And that awareness is so important. It's all about the human element, isn't it? Absolutely. And it sounds like for you, the very first priority was to find out where you could be of greatest service. And then you let that sort of guide your next steps. Do you think that's what ultimately led you to Food Rescue?
0: Well, let me backtrack just a little bit because... When I lived in D.C. before, I worked in public broadcasting for 10 years in the News and Public Affairs Division, and that was really wonderful, rewarding work. And of course, it was for PBS, which I think is just uh, got such a solid mission statement. After that, I lived in California for eight years, and for several of those years, I was the fundraiser, which is, I guess, where the nonprofit work began, called Matrix, which was a resource center for parents of children with disabilities. So that was the beginning. So it was from there that I came to Connecticut and began my political work, and then my board service, and I latched on to this awesome thing called food running. When I shifted over into food rescue work, I have said to people, it's not unlike campaign work in that I have to engage volunteers, I have to bring in shareholders or stakeholders, and, and I have to keep on top of things and keep it organized and apologize when needed and smooth things over and celebrate and slap on the back and all that stuff. It's just very similar in a way.
1: Yeah, there's, that's just not a stretch at all listening to that. I didn't realize that it was the community element that drew you in. But you went even further than that. You even became a founder of the League of Women Voters in Stanford. So was that just another extension of seeing a, a niche that wasn't being serviced and then using your skill set to go out and address that need?
0: I was asked by the head of the Democratic Party in Stanford, who was a very powerful woman, if I would start up a a league again. And it was a throwdown challenge. And I thought, well, because all the neighboring towns had leagues of women voters. And I thought, well, how can Stanford with all these? It's a very diverse and big city, actually. And it just seemed ridiculous that we didn't have a league. So that's why I did it. And, you know, that alone took a year to kind of launch it and get it going. I launched that. I launched Food Rescue. It's basically the same kind of process. You look around, you bring the right people to the table, you get to understand the issues that are preventing something from happening or could lead to its success, and you just start it rolling. I've said to people, truth be told, me right now with this food recovery work is as important a thing as I've ever done in my life. So it really kind of caught fire once I was doing food rescue work.
1: So you were looking to get to know your community, and you knew that the low-hanging fruit would be working on a political campaign. So then that shifts now, and you come to D.C., and then the low-hanging fruit is to work on food rescue? Or what was the process there?
0: When I moved to D.C., I had the fine experience of having helped get my governor elected, worked to help the senators from our state, our congressmen, in addition to the work locally in Stanford, helping people on the Board of Education and the city council. But I had a connection world, and I thought, oh, back in D.C., I, I could potentially do work in the political arena. And there are a lot of people in D.C. who want to work in the political arena. And as I started my job search, it was slowpoke and not, not coming together as quickly as I'd hoped. I was getting resumes out. I was broadening my notion of what I could do and looking at my skill set.
1: And Okay, guys, this has got to sound familiar. You've been there. I've been there. You guys know that place where you're trying so hard just to find anything, and it doesn't feel like there's anything that's going to pan. And you feel crappy. This is what's really wonderful about Kate's story. She was able to have a breakthrough because she had a resilient part of her character that immediately started looking for ways to make her feel better.
0: Honestly, one day I said, okay, I gotta do something that makes me feel good and happy. And I said, let me do some new food rescue work. There must be a Food Runner program. It didn't even occur to me that there wasn't one. I just Googled and I was looking for the program here in D.C. And I couldn't find one. And I hope that that's very strange. There's some amazing agencies here who do phenomenal work for the food insecure. But I thought, I just don't see that. Volunteer element and the app, which the app is so cool because that's what allows people to do the food runs without a lot of oversight from a volunteer coordinator. And it's just the key to the whole success, honestly, is when the app works. So, with that underway, I pitched to Connecticut. I called up to the community plates team and I said, Do you all remember me? I was one of those very enthusiastic runners. And now I live in DC. And what do you think about starting a food recovery program, a community place here in D.C.? And it was kind of interesting because Kevin Mullins, who's the executive director, sometimes I have a LinkedIn profile and I think, well, I don't know really what good it might do. But Kevin called me. He goes, you know, I just looked at your LinkedIn profile and I thought, wow, you have all the skill sets that we need to be the food runner, plus you did it yourself. So it was kind of one of those moments where I thought, well, all this resume toiling, et cetera, all I had to do ultimately was have somebody take a peek at my LinkedIn and he was quickly encouraging.
1: But there was definitely a lot more to it than that. And part of the background that Kate had in all of this work doing political work and sitting on boards prepared her a lot. And the first thing she knew she had to do was actually dig into the area, dig into the new city, see what the needs are, see what organizations are in place and determine if this was really going to fly.
0: The way that I was able to confirm, because here I am in a new city, a familiar city, but a new city, And trying to figure out if I was correct with my assumption that there was no food runner program like Community Plates. And by doing um, some outreach, I was connected to somebody who said, you should speak to Josh Singer, who is the individual who heads up something called the DC Food Recovery Working Group. And so I met with Josh and I laid it out for him and said, you know, this is my idea I'd like to start a food runner program. Is there such a thing? And he said, in fact, the food recovery working group was hoping to identify a food runner program like ours. So it was kind of a wonderful way for me to confirm my suspicion that there was nothing like this. So With that said, that's when I placed the call up to Kevin Mullins and said, listen, they are looking for a program here in D.C. I have the excitement and passion to get it started. I knew as we began that there was no money in the budget, but figured that that would come later. And sometimes when you make a midlife bold move and a career change, you just have to kind of go with your faith and your passion. And I was able to do that. So off we went and launched what was then called Community Plates. It was in the fall of 2016 when we did our first run, actually, from the Sixth and I Historic Synagogue to a place called James Creek Resident Council, which was a low-income housing unit, and this wonderful synagogue that had food that they wanted to pass forward, but because of their religious practices, on the weekend, they were not able to drive cars to do that transport piece. And so I'd heard about them. And so I contacted them and said, listen, I'm going to head up this program where we will have volunteers using their own cars who can pick up food and bring it, hopefully no more than 10, 15 minutes down the road and drop it off and do that transportation piece, which is an obstacle to so much, so much well-intentioned food donation. And so with that, they were our first sign ups, I put it in the app. An amazing couple, Christine and David, signed up to do that run. I was astonished when I actually saw it working. I, I have to ask them how they found out about community plates because it was really very quietly word of mouth. I can barely even remember the origins, how it somehow mushroomed into the fact that we now have 270 volunteers signed up. So that's in just over a year, which is kind of a a big deal.
1: That's (laughs) incredible. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So from there, it was with some help from the Food Recovery Working Group, I had advocates at the table who knew of people that they could suggest this work to, both volunteers, I got some help finding and identifying receiving agencies because there are really three pieces to this work. You need to find food donors, you need food runners or food rescuers, the volunteer piece, and then you need to know the receiving agencies to match up with the food that you are going to recover. And what you really have to do is find those three parts in equal measure because it's a balancing act. If you have too many volunteers and they look in the app and there's not enough runs, they might kind of tire of it and and tune out if I have too many too much food and not enough runners what happens is basically what happened when I started I did the vast majority of the runs
1: so in the beginning when you were taking on as community plates in that transition into food rescue us how many runs do you think that you were averaging per week Oh my goodness. You know, it started slowly.
0: There's no question it started slowly. But I would say, I think from the beginning, I've probably done about 125 runs. I would oftentimes do a couple a day and um, some on weekends. It's almost a blur at this point
1: you have 270 new volunteers as, as of December, 2017. And hopefully people down the road that hear the show will have grown even more, but even so you're still doing runs on a weekly basis, at least, right? How many runs do you think you're doing per week now?
0: Oh, probably two or three. (laughs) And, uh, Yeah, I, I should be doing, honestly, I, I shouldn't do runs because I should redirect my energy, but, um, I can't not do them because I can't disappoint. We, we have got to make the program move forward. So it's not a real hardship, but it is, um, again, it's, it's such a relief when I know that every single run is covered for a day.
1: Can you describe what a typical food run is like these days? I did a food run this
0: morning from the National Academy of Sciences because they are a Sodexo cafeteria. And yesterday they had a holiday party for 800 employees. And so they let me know that there was excess food as a result of that party. So I picked up the most Gorgeous purple potatoes. They're like roasted. That was just looked fantastic. This huge container and this amazing medley of other vegetables and these wonderful dinner rolls, just two big bags of them, perfectly fresh dinner rolls. And so I loaded up my car. Again, the staff is so friendly and so happy that it makes them feel good to know that they're not having to throw food away and they engage with each other as they. Package stuff up. I've been told by my friends over at National Geographic that it has improved staff morale because they work together trying to figure out what food can be recovered. So today at National Academy of Sciences, I had the same experience. Loaded up my car, drove about 12 minutes up the road to Campus Kitchen, where I uh, brought the food in. They were thrilled to have the vegetables. It's always nice to get fresh vegetables And so that was my run, and it took me from start to finish about 40 minutes, and another successful connection was made.
1: Well, speaking from a volunteer's perspective, as I contribute to those runs sometimes, I have to say it does really operate like a well-oiled machine. But what would you say to organizations that are just getting started, that haven't maybe materialized that kind of full circle experience like the one you had today?
0: I like to say to people... I had to fake it till I made it. It had to be something before it was something. So I had to make it something before it was really something. And so that was basically me with my GPS in my 2008 Subaru Outback, driving all around the city, doing food runs whenever there was food. I had occasional help from some of my early volunteers who I cherish, my friend John, my friend Christine, my friend David. Um, That list has grown quite a bit now, but in the beginning... I had some solid help from probably less than 10 people. But when I signed on, I knew that I was going to have to do a lot of the runs myself, and I did. But all of that groundwork, I think, is what made this program successful because I got to meet in, in person the food donors, and I met in person the agency heads and developed relationships with them. And so much of this, I think, is that human connection to – be able to know each other by name and by face. And so once I started to get it up and running, there actually something, a little bit of a curveball happened. And I knew it was happening, but Food Rescue US was identified as the new name for the agency. So here we started in the fall of 2016. And by January of 2017, we had a brand new app, and a brand new name. So that was kind of why we called it a, a soft rollout in the early days, because it didn't seem to make a lot of sense to go too deep in publicizing this new agency in town when we knew we were going to change the name and we knew we were going to get a whole new app. So once we um, launched again in January of 17, I learned the new app, which was much more involved and much more technical, has great capacity for reports. And um, it, it does a lot more than the original app did, but I'd become quite fond of the first app. So I had to learn the new app and then it was about rebranding all of a sudden. And I got invited to speak on a couple of panels. Word was getting out that there was this technology piece, which I think is what people find so interesting. People come at this whether it's they're passionate about curbing food waste or they're passionate about feeding hungry people or they're intrigued by technology and what. Food Rescue US does is it engages all three of those subject matters. So I had a couple panel discussions where I was invited, which was really, really lovely to be at the table with other well-known agencies in the city. And then word just got out and got out. And then we started to mushroom a little bit.
1: Can you describe some of the key partnerships that came into play that really helped bring Food Rescue DC into fruition?
0: One of the keys to getting the word out about this agency was. I attended a DC Food Policy Council meeting, and I was in the audience as part of the discussion was th- what to do about that transportation piece when it came to food recovery. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is my opportunity to raise my hand and stand up and say, I have a solution. And I did. And Spike Mendelson, who's the chairman. Called on me and I introduced myself and I said, So I represent, at the time it was still Community Plates, and we are that missing link. We provide volunteers who run the food from the donor to the receiving agency, and it's all based around an app. And it's a successful program that was launched up in Fairfield County, Connecticut in 2011. We exist in Cincinnati, Columbus, New Orleans, Albuquerque, and now we're going to launch in DC. And with that, I began a conversation with Spike Mendelssohn and met up with him, and he is a person who's a restaurateur of great note here in the city and a celebrity chef across the country. And he was very supportive and very interested in how he could personally help uh, promote the idea of food rescue. So that was a, a nice turning point. And he was able to connect me to the general manager at Bread First, which is a James Beard award-winning restaurant and bakery. And Un, who is the general manager there, Immediately, she happened to overhear our conversation. She was there in the restaurant as Spike and I were meeting. And she said, do you represent a food rescue program? And I said, indeed, I do. And so she was all in. And within a week or so, we were doing recovery from bread first three days a week. And within some time, we realized that We the Pizza, which is Spike's restaurant, had this gorgeous excess gourmet pizza every single night that they were in a way having to toss because there was no way to there was no vehicle to get it transported anywhere and it was going to waste and that was painful for the people that were throwing it away every day and so we started doing food recovery from seven days a week which is amazing through the food recovery working group i was connected to a company called revolution foods based out in Chevrolet, Maryland. And they feed, I believe, 55,000 school children through school lunch programs. So it's a massive operation that has food waste by virtue of the fact that they have to have enough food. And schedules change at the last minute and orders change up, but they have to have enough food to feed the kids. And at the end of the day they were finding that they did have excess. They tried internally to be able to um, rely on staffers to drop food here and there to food, food insecure agencies. But ultimately, it was a stress that a business really shouldn't have to deal with. It's not part of most business plans to have to figure out what to do with your excess food. Of course, you try to have as little waste as possible. But when I connected with Alicia Grogan, at Revolution Foods, she was so excited to think that perhaps Food Rescue U.S. could be the solution that they were looking for. And in fact, it has been. And we now go to Chevrolet four days a week and recover vast amounts of remarkable food. Sometimes it's boxes of fresh pears. Sometimes it's snack packs, yogurts. It's salads, wraps, hamburgers, pans of peas and beans, It's a variety. Every day it's a little bit different because it's the nature of the work. And I'm constantly putting my seat backs down and filling it to the brim. And by that, I mean to the brim with bags of food. We have been purchasing um, IKEA zippered bags to hold the food because it, it really is a wonderful way to transport it. And that is an important part of this puzzle is how to get the food packaged up. So oftentimes I have to rely on my side view mirrors because the food it takes up to the brim of my car, to the roof.
1: That was my run for a while going for right. Revolution Foods. And the drop-off point was changed to some So Others Might Eat, S-O-M-E. And I'll just never forget, I was so impressed with the way that their whole operation ran to receive the food because they wanted every bit of it. And we're talking about 10 packed bags of those blue Ikea zip-up bags that you all have seen. And what happens is Revolution Foods, they have these units. It's just a little plastic kind of boat and it will be filled with a yogurt and a pack of carrots and maybe a bagel. And then it's got plastic wrap over it. You'll have like 300 of those. You'll have like 250 sandwiches. You'll have another 140 wraps. And they bring it out on crates. And they're crates that are stacked on top of each other. And they're taller than you are. And there are three of them. And you're just thinking, wow, how am I going to get all of this into my car? And you never do. So you take the most nutrient dense things that you can find and the easiest things to haul. So certainly the boxes of the fruit go in there. And as many of the sandwiches that are more of a whole meal that you can, you can bear, you know, to bring. And for me, the same thing, I've got my child seat filled with units of sandwiches. You know, I've got maybe 10 bags. And when I brought it to So so Others Might Eat, there was a man standing in the parking lot with a walkie-talkie and he he just waves me straight in without talking to him. He said, we're, we're sending some runners to come out and get the food right now. I saw you coming. I said, how did you see me coming? I didn't even speak to you. And he said, you're the blue bag people. And we were just <laughs> talking about you guys the other day. We were saying, we haven't seen those blue bag people in a couple of days. Where are they? So they have come to depend on these donations. And it's so heartening because as we both know, those donations from Revolution Foods can sometimes be overwhelming on the receiving end. And that's another piece of the puzzle you were talking about is the people who are receiving the food to have the capacity to receive it. And that takes a lot of staff because you're dealing with food in a time-sensitive way where they have to get it into refrigeration. We're working as fast as we can to get it from point A to point B as volunteers. And then as receivers, they have to process the food or store the food in a time-sensitive way. So... It's great when we encounter a group like that, that is more than willing and able to take that food on.
0: One of the things that's so nice about the Revolution Foods food is that it is individually packaged. So some of the larger agencies, and again, we do have to make matches with Thrive DC so others might eat. We also deliver to East River Family Strengthening Collaborative and Mama Toto Village and a place called Richardson Dwellings. These are larger agencies that oftentimes parcel out the packaged foods to their client base or their residents. So it's not every agency can can handle that to your point. But when we find the right one, it's just such a, a great match because it is perfectly packaged to share in that manner.
1: And I have to say, that's another part of the human element. I remember you explaining because I've done a few of the bread first runs as well. And you were explaining to me that you had to actually shop around and find the organizations that were able to accept the food that they were getting. And because it's these beautiful beet salads and really high end kind of deli items and some organizations can, you know, they have the clientele that like that and other clients have the elderly populations who can't chew the bread after a day or two. That's another part of the human element that you brought in sort of navigating and sorting the pathways of that food to the populations that were able to receive and appreciate it. And,
0: you know, you have to be a little diplomatic to go back to the the generous donor and say, we're going to switch up the receiving agency because there's a lot of communication that needs to happen. And I kind of gently suggested that the young people at the Latin American Youth Center had kind of uh, decided that couscous, portobello mushroom sandwiches, and beet salads were wonderful for a while. And afterwards, they were kind of looking for pizza and uh, submarine sandwiches. So, uh, But we work it out. And there are three different agencies that receive the bread first food and are thrilled with it. So it's all about exactly making that match. Another thing, you know, we get offered pastries and sweets from time to time. And there are some bakers that we work with who are phenomenal. And I do tend to place those with agencies that serve um, young people. A lot of clients at some other agencies are diabetic. And there's good reason why we aren't to be dropping off batches of cookies and cakes because their clients simply are not, their their diets are at risk and they can't eat it.
1: And then you also have a gleaning program, Or you do gleaning from time to time, which ensures that produce from farms is being recovered and brought, like these nutrient-dense foods that are being left fallow in the fields because they can't be harvested or there's too much of it. That's another component of Food Rescue US that seeks to go and collect that food and bring it back to people who really are needing it.
0: Well, it's interesting. The term gleaning, not everybody knows what that means. And and I actually didn't myself. You can glean... But
1: hey, this Food Warriors audience knows what gleaning is, right? Remember episode three with Styles Najak of Orange County, New York and the Glean Mobile? If you want to get a quick overview of what gleaning is, you can check out the short show of episode three, or you can go for the deep dive and head right to the full episode to hear some of the stories and experiences, as well as the nitty-gritty on gleaning, as told by Styles Najack. Right here we're gonna wrap up part one of our interview with Caterbank. Okay, Food Warriors, I wanna thank you for tuning in and turning on today. Big thanks to Kate for sharing her time and expertise, and for our astute listeners out there, I would be remiss if I didn't address that the first half of the show did contain some audio glitches where Kate's voice might have sounded a little bit robot-esque. That was due to a podcasting rookie move on my part with the recording software. I assure you, Kate is 100% human, no Android parts, though now that I mention it, I do have to humor the food recovery potential in dispatching a band of Kate Urbank, Kate Androids across the country. We do simply need more people like Kate if we really want to bring the solution to this problem to full scale. And that's where you can come into this. Head over to foodrescue.us and register. You can sign up there as a volunteer food renter, or if you're an establishment with consistent excess food to donate, you can sign up to become a food donor. Finally, if you're part of an organization or agency looking to receive food donations, you can register in the app from their website as well. Go ahead and register yourself, download the app, and you'll be well on your way to some of the most rewarding and efficient volunteer work that's to be had, I assure you, you guys. Hashtag New Year's Resolutions 2018. Emphasis on Solutions. All right, be sure to follow up next week for part two with Kate. I'm Jamie Rothbard. I am the foodie alchemist. And as we close up 2017, I'm thinking forward and looking at food as the force that unites our bodies, our people, and our planet. Cheers. Cheers.